second Bible reading for tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. And on this Pew Bible, it's page 1203. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks, uh, Jess, for reading uh, that chapter on love, the love, the, the love chapter. So, um, thank you uh, for that. As uh, Aidan uh, did mention, the number one question apparently on internet is, what is love? What is love? That, that is a, a massive topic. Today we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a chapter written on the topic of love. And I was saying to someone, what, what can I say to the congregation? What, what should I say tonight? A one-word summary sermon, just love. That's it, and we're finished. But that's not so the case, isn't it? It's a tough topic as well. Real love, I believe, is tough. It is challenging, it is confronting, and it certainly is a massive task to show love for one another. So let's uh, come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it speaks to our hearts, it challenges our thinking, confronts our hearts, Lord, helps us, Lord, to to understand what real love is and how we ought to show that love in our relationships. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit uh, will speak to our hearts and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, uh, we've been following 1 Corinthians as as our uh, study series for our evening services. And Paul writes this letter uh, to the Corinthian church, which was a church that was affected with multiplicity of issues. And I want you to keep your Bibles open uh, to 1 Corinthians 13, which I trust will be helpful uh, for us tonight. Primarily, this church at Corinth was a divided church. And this division showed itself up in many, many Uh, in many and different ways. We read, for example, of this division in chapters 1 right through to 4. Paul said this, 
I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. But you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So this was a church that had infights. Chapter 5, there was sexual immorality in the church. They did not care too much about it. They were divided on the issue themselves. In chapter 6, there were lawsuits within the church. They were taking one another to civil courts. Here again, there was division within the body of Christ. Chapter 7 to 10, there was abuse of freedom in the church. Here again, division existed in this congregation. Uh, some did not see this as an issue, others did. Chapter 11, when they celebrated the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, there was division there as well. The rich people were given a special place and the poor people another place. When they came to the table, some of them behaved indecently. Chaos was taking place right there in the church. And then last Sunday evening, we saw that this church was divided again about spiritual gifts. Uh, they were coveting each other's gifts. Uh, some were saying, my gifts are better than yours. And so here again, another divided church. You see, speaking of spiritual gifts, it is worth for us to note that spiritual gifts are given for service. They are for service to God. They are given for the service of others in the church. They are not for our self-advancement or for bragging. We belong to each other. And we need to see our gifts as instruments by which we can love and serve others and not be actually selfish. Uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, uh, speaking on gifts, he said this, When we exercise the gifts which Christ has given us, we are really saying to our fellow Christians and others, See how much the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and cares for you. He has sent me to serve you in this way. He is using my hands and feet, my lips and ears, to show his love. That's what uh, our gifts are to be used for, to show the love of Christ. So, broadly speaking, friends, uh, Paul warned against two dangers about spiritual gifts. Don't belittle yourself with the gifts God has given you. Don't covet, compare your gifts with someone else. So right there in chapter 12, there were debates about spiritual gifts, where some people were saying theirs were superior. And so it is within this framework, it is within this framework of a divided church, a church that was doing its own thing. Now Paul comes to a very crucial and a fundamental chapter right here in 1 Corinthians. I think this is a turning point in the life and ministry of this church. Because Paul is now focusing on a key factor that I believe was missing in this church. And so he says at the end of chapter 12, if you look at the, your Bibles with me, he says, I am going to show you a more excellent way. I'm going to show you an excellent way. A way that is going to help you in your relationships within the church family and strengthen the church. And what is this excellent way? You got it? Chapter 12, the end. It is the way of love. It is the way of love. So Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about love because I think this is what was missing right here in this church. It had other things going for it, Spiritual gifts, 
Other ministries perhaps taking place within the dynamic of the church. But there was one thing that was really lacking and missing. It was love. And so this evening as we work our way through this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I tell you it, it is a challenging chapter. As I was working through this chapter, I thought to myself, man, this is tough. This, this is, is Paul actually for real? How are we to, to kind of live this kind of love uh, chapter in our lives? And so, tonight we're going to look at, um, I've given you outlines as well, four essential factors here. The supremacy of love, one to three. Uh, what love is, four A, seven, six positives. Uh, what love is not, four uh, B to six. There are eight negatives and the permanence of love. So that's, that's the outline that we're going to follow and hopefully we'll work our way through uh, this chapter pretty quickly. Well, the supremacy of love. Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men, verses 1, uh, right through to 3, and, and that of angels, you can see it for yourself. If I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, before we look at the supremacy of love, let's focus for a moment on this word, love. What actually is love? <laughs> I'll be very interested to see what the... Uh, what the survey found on the internet as well. What, what actually is love? How should we define this word love? Just recently, just last week, um, I had some lovely, beautiful uh, ice cream. One of the best ice creams that I've eaten. Um, it was absolutely superb. And I said to Jess uh, just last week, can we go and buy that ice cream again? I really loved it. It was really great. Now, for, for many people, this word love can mean many things. You might love ice cream. Uh, you might love um, your new car. You might love your new kitchen, your new house. Uh, uh, you might love your new pet cat or dog. Or you might love uh, your new clothes. The English language doesn't actually make a distinction with the use of this word love. It uses the same word to speak of love. So I will love somebody, I will love a church, uh, uh, my car, etc. So it, it is just a, a kind of word that is used randomly for anything. Now in the Greek world, there were different words for love. One is the word philio. That is a word brotherly love. You get this word philios. And you get the church in Philadelphia, which was a church that was characterized by brotherly love. So the church in Philadelphia, for example. You get the other Greek word that is used in the Greek word is the word eros. And you get the word erotic love or eroticism. Now this particular word is not used in the Bible, but it was part of the Greek world. And then in the context here tonight, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there is another word that is used. It's a biblical word that has been used, and that word is called agape. Now, you would have heard of the word agape, right? Most of you would have heard that, or some of you. Okay. Uh, th- that word agape is a word uh, that is used, for example, in John chapter 3 and verse 16. God so loved. That is an agape love. It is a love that is of divine origin. It is a love that is of a sacrificial nature. It is the kind of love that Paul is bringing out right here in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is this agape love. It is this self-giving love. It is this God's perspective of love that we have here, right here in this passage. So Paul has now spoken about spiritual gifts, chapters 12, and he says, if I do all of these things, uh, and if I, even if I give my body to be burned up, if I don't have love, I am nothing. 
He says that he is like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I, I, I was almost thinking I should go there and whack that cymbal tonight as an illustration, but I wouldn't do it. <laughs> uh, you see, at, at the time of um, uh, when this letter was written, honoring or worshipping pagan gods included speaking in ecstatic noises. And it was accompanied by the smashing of gongs and the clanging of cymbals. The more louder the cymbals were crashed together, the more louder the gongs were, were, were played, the more ecstatic the whole experience was. And so Paul's readers knew exactly what he was actually saying there. He says that if he can speak in tongues of men, angels have prophetic powers, everything else, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Three times he uses that phrase there. He says, if I don't have love, if I don't have love, if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Think about that. Quite a sobering thought, isn't it? So right here at the beginning, we see the supremacy of love that Paul is putting this right there at the start. And saying, if I have every one of these things and I don't have love, I'm absolutely a nothing. That's Paul speaking. And then he goes on to list what love is. Have a note in your Bibles, please. 4a. What is love? We see six positive descriptions of love. Alright, so be patient with me. Because the first one is love is patient. Alright. You got that, right? You got my joke. Love is patient and kind. You see, love is patient. The meaning here is, um, you see, this word is used to describe patience with people. The, the word here means to be long-suffering. It is slow to get in angry. It describes someone, someone who is with a long fuse. And in the Greek world, to be patient was never considered to be a virtue. It was considered to be a sign of weakness. So, uh, for example, in fact, Aristotle defined the great Greek virtue as the refusal to tolerate any insult or injury. According to him, one must be ready to strike back and hurt anyone who hurts you. And this was the great Greek virtue. According to the Greeks, you were a strong person if you really dealt with your enemies by striking back. And so Paul is saying, you ought not to think that way. You ought to be patient. Especially in your relationships with one another in the church. And so talking about love to these new Christians, these Greek converts as well, Paul is saying to these Christians that they are to be characterized by patience. And this was a radical change of thinking. Secondly, love is also kind. This leads to a second description. In, in the Greek word, um, the, the, the original word means uh, to be useful for others. Jesus said, for example, love your enemies. And he didn't say, feel good about them, did he? What did he say? Love your enemies and do good to them. Not just to feel good about them, but do something good to them. See, God himself is kind. He does kind things to people. You and I are here today because of the kindness of our God. Is that not the case? The very fact that we are breathing and living right here, that God has been kind to us, and if you are a Christian, then he has been extremely kind to you and to myself. 
In Matthew chapter 11, 29 to 30, we have these beautiful words, in fact, part of our memory text. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if you go further, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word easy is the same word that is used here to to describe the kindness of God. I am easy. In other words, Jesus says, come to me and I will give my kindness to you. How wonderful is this? The love spoken of here in this passage is kindness. It is one that heals wounds. It is one that returns kindness even in the midst of the fact that you might get hurt from someone else within the church, within, in the work situation, uh, wherever. Someone has put it this way. Uh, when you give the roses of kindness to others, a bit of their fragrance lingers on your hands. You try and work that out. Okay, can I say that again? I see some of you girls smiling here, so it says, when, when you give the roses of kindness to others, a bit of their fragrance lingers on your hands. I've not tried this experience, but, uh, experiment, but, uh, maybe I should, I should get some roses for Rose. Anyway, let's move on to verse 7. And the, four, uh, the further descriptions. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Massive stuff here, friends. Massive. Look at your text there. It always protects. The, the word there means to cover, to support, and, trust, and, and, and to protect. The idea is not to go around exposing the weaknesses of others. Oh, she or he is such and such a person that, that you're showing up his or her faults with the idea of making you look a better person. Or maybe making myself look a better person. So I can go around and, and just lampoon John and say all the bad things about the guy because I want to look better than John. In my actions, that is. Maybe in my looks as well, but no. <laughs> the point is this. By me bragging, I'm trying to say, look, I'm a better guy than perhaps someone else. Right? It, it, this kind of love is protective. John, John MacArthur says, love never protects sin, but is anxious to protect the sinner. It never protects sin, but it is anxious to protect the sinner. Someone else put it this way, love throws a kindly mantle over the faults of others, a kindly covering over the weaknesses and failures of others. Love always trusts. It is not suspicious, it believes. It does not always assume the worst in someone. It is always willing to see the best in others. For example, if someone is accused of something, love will hold judgment on the person and will see the person innocent until proven guilty. Now this does not mean that we should not be discerning. It does not mean that we are to be gullible. Of course not. But love is willing to give the benefit of the doubt. Love does not go through life always suspicious of others. Let's keep going. Love always hopes. That is, love is always willing to look forward. Uh, Love hopes for all things according to God's promises in his word. It puts confidence in the grace of God. That is, so long as God's grace is at work or is operative in a person's life, one can live in hope in the midst of human failure. Human failure is not final because our God is the God of hope. All right? This kind of a love is optimistic. For example, we, we do know some of our friends 
uh, who are deeply grieved by the fact that their children are not walking in the Lord. It, it grieves them, it grieves us. And I've sat with parents, I've sat with mothers who've been filled with tears in their eyes, saying to me, Chris, I've done everything I can, but our children are not walking in the Lord. They have taught them God's word, they have brought them to church, uh, they had brought them to kids' church, done everything. And it gives them heartache that their children are not walking in Christ. Are they to give up hope? Should they? No. They should not do so. They, and they don't give up hope. And I hear them saying to me, I keep praying because we have put our hope in this God. There is a ray of hope because God is the God of hope. And he can bring them back to himself. And love never gives up because it is tied up in hope. It always hopes. What an optimistic way of looking at life, isn't it? Love always perseveres. Look at, look at the text again there. That is, it, uh, it continues on. In the midst of misfortunes and trials, love will hold fast and continue to endure. Love is not overwhelmed, no matter what and how many disappointments may come along pathway. It keeps going. Love holds on. The picture here is that of a soldier who keeps soldiering on, even in the middle of the worst and intense battle. Love sustains. You can't kill it. For example, if you really love someone, you will hold on in love with endurance, and keep on persevering in loving that person. Now, I just want to say this. When I was going out with Rose, a long time back, uh, she went to Holland for, uh, for a month. And I, of, of course, I was a student, I was studying here, and I really missed her because uh, she was away. But before she left, I saw her at the airport, she gave me a bag of goodies, and she had done an album, and she said, Chris... There are 31 gifts in this bag. And there are 31 notes there. I want you to open up every day a gift and put that note, paste it in the album. My heart just melted and is still there. I mean, that is love, you know. I mean, look at that. And I was thinking to myself, man, what am I going to give back to her in return? You know, guys, oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is, so every day I did open up that gift and it was so special. I was down in Geelong and I put the album and we still have the album with us. And when I open it, it's still very touching. Love perseveres. It continues on. Right? That, that's, that's how she showed her love to me because, you know, yeah, she loved me a lot. That's it. You see, love is, it, it, it continues, it, it, uh, it perseveres in loving that person. Real love does not give up. It does not give up. So we have seen six positive descriptions of, of love, friends. Very quickly, love is patient, love is kind, love, is, uh, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. And now, very quickly again, what love is not. Let's work our way through. Love is not jealous uh, let me get that up there. Okay, so love is not jealous, love is not boastful, love is not arrogant, love is not proud, uh, rude, love is not self-seeking, love is not irritable, love is not resentful, love does not rejoice with wrongdoing. Now, who said that chapter 13 is such an easy chapter to work through? Alright? These are massive issues. 
And obviously we can't spend the whole night here looking at all of this, but very quickly to go through this. Love does not envy. That is, it is not jealous. It refers to an inner boiling, seething or steaming over something somebody else has. This was a major issue with the Corinthians. They were envious of other people's gifts. They were jealous of other people's gifts. Jealousy, as we know, is wanting wanting what someone else has and resenting the fact that they have it and we don't. And jealousy and envy is very subtle. It can happen in the workplace. You can be jealous of your colleague. It can happen at school, at uni, uh, in the church, in our homes, wherever. Instead, love sees somebody who is prosperous, popular, or powerful, and gifted, and it is happy for the other person. It is saying, I don't have it, but if she has it, if he has it, praise God for that. And be happy for that person. Love does not boast. Uh, it's not, uh, the, the, the root word here is a windbag. It makes a big noise. It is boast, boastful. The word is used only this time in the New Testament. Love is not a windbag. Love does not brag about one's accomplishments or make you look better than the other person. Bragging is an effort to make other people feel inferior because of what you are or what you uh, have done. Love is not arrogant. Okay, that is... Um, d- kind of swelled up. The, the word that is used here is the word to be puffed up. That's, that's the idea. To be proud. Love by contrast is not proud. It is not arrogant. Uh, one writer puts it this way. Arrogance is big-headed. Love is big-hearted. Get that. Arrogance is big-headed. But love is big-hearted. Love is not rude, that is, it's not unbecoming to behave indecently, to act in defiance of standards. To be rude is to behave dishonorably. It is outrageous behavior. Uh, this word has a wide range of meaning as well. It could also include simply being ill-mannered to others. Instead, love inspires a person to do what is honorable to God and to others. It is not self-seeking. It doesn't always look at yourself. Number one is self. Adam and Eve, what was their problem in the Garden of Eden? Self. Selfishness. Me and myself. And how many people are deeply in love with themselves? There's nothing wrong in loving yourself. You can love God and love yourself as well. But the thing is here, it is self-seeking. Wanting the best for yourself. It's all about you. I did it my way. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not easily irritable. It's not provoked. It doesn't become angry easily. The word here is of outburst of anger. What makes you really mad? I don't want you to answer, but just think about it. You're driving, you're finding the car spot there, and you're waiting patiently at a car park. And then someone else comes, put the indicator and goes in there. Does that make you smile and say, wow, that's a great guy. I just want to say, thank you so much for taking my car spot. Would you do that? It's happened to me. I'm waiting patiently sometimes. I mean, two weeks ago, and I was waiting there for the car park and put my indicator on. Someone else came in. I thought, man, what should I do? Should I key that car? No. (laughs) I should never do that. Never. Just move on, Chris. Go and park somewhere else. Things can irritate us in the workplace. It can irritate us anywhere. Because life 
is like that. We can hurt other people and other people can hurt us, right? And we can irritate other people as well. Perhaps if you had a tiring day at work or just a bad one, it doesn't take much to be irritable. Love controls anger. To love others means that we, by God's grace, work hard to avoid getting irritable over petty things. Love is not resentful. Uh, the, the word there is actually an accounting term. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't, it's, it's a ledger accounting. I've got to balance this account book, so I'll keep a ledger of all the wrongs that's happened here. And such such a day you did this, 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 this. And on that day I will pay back accordingly. That's a ledger term. And love does not delight in wrongdoing. I, I just want to emphasize this because, because sometimes people say, oh, the Christian church should be loving. And of course it is. And because we are loving, we must accept anything. We must accept anything that the world does. Anything that the world throws at us, we must be loving. And if we don't show love, we are an uncompassionate bunch of people. And the whole marriage debate, for example, is one of such issues. You see, love does not delight in evil. Love does not delight in sin. Love holds up what is God's word. Love says it will hold up what is honorable to God. Do you see the difference? Just because we love somebody or love things, we can't do anything that we want. Love upholds what is right. It does not participate in sinfulness. It says no to it. There is a price to pay for it. It says no, I love... My love goes only that far and not beyond that because it compromises God's word in my life. Do you see that? Be very mindful of that. See, love must be sincere. And and that's what Paul says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. All right? Uh, So love takes no joy in evil. It rejoices in the truth. And then... The permanence of love. Look at verses 8 right through to the end there. Uh, 13.8 is talking about the permanence of love. Love never ends. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. Everything will pass away. There is something perfect ahead. So Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Sometimes, I mean, look at children. They run around, they enjoy things. Uh, they, they've got a carefree life, don't they? I think they've got the best life. They're well looked after, cared for, they're loved, they're provided for. Man, no, no, no problems, no pressures. Life is good for them. But as you keep growing up, you start putting away these childish things. And Paul says, he's given up childish behavior. And that is dealing with things and issues in a measured way. Why does he do this? The clue is here in 12 and 13. Have a look very quickly. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. There's a future aspect to this, brothers and friends in Christ tonight. There's a massive difference between this world and the world to come. And we notice in these verses, please take note, that one day all those who have placed their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will see Him face to face. 
Now we see in a mirror. Then we will see in full. That is, we will see Jesus. Yeah? Correct? You agreed? Love will be made perfect. And we will walk and talk with Jesus in the cool of the day, as Adam once did in the garden. No wonder Paul concludes in, verses, in verse 13. Now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Why? Considering what he says about faith, I'll come back to that, I'll answer that question in a moment. Considering what he says about faith and hope elsewhere, faith is a gift that God grants. Faith believes what it cannot see yet. Hope inspires within us what the circumstances of a harsh world so often crush. Yet love is greater. Why? Because faith will give way to sight and faith will not be needed. We will see fully. Hope will one day possess what it longed for, namely to be with Christ eternally in the new heaven and the new earth. So hope will not be required anymore. But love will not give way to something better because love never ends. And why is that? Friends, because God is love. 1 John chapter 4, 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And my question to you tonight is, if you are not a Christian here this evening, have you given consideration of God's love for you? What does the love of God mean to you individually tonight? And for us who are Christians, what does that tell us? <laughs> I'm still unpacking always the love of God for a sinner like me. I, I, it's, it's beyond me. It's beyond my comprehension. It's beyond my understanding. But I just want to thank him that he has loved a sinner like me. And if you're a Christian then he has loved a sinner like you. And the love of God has been demonstrated, friends, in a marvelous and spectacular way. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for whom? For us. Therefore, love is already God's best. The cross. At the cross, God's love was demonstrated. At the cross, Jesus died there for your sins and mine. At the cross, the love of God was shown in all its power and majesty and glory and splendor. And that cannot be ignored. And it must not be ignored. That is why love never ends. It continues, and Paul says that. It continues through eternity in Christ. And this is why there must be love within the church family. Can we have and practice this kind of love by ourselves? Can I? No. The answer is an absolute no. I will fail miserably. I know that. Go and ask my family. I go home tonight and what I have just said might just come crumbling down this evening. I, I'm sure I'm, I'm perfect at home. 
No, I'm not. <laughs> it is only, I think, and I believe this, it is only as we trust and know this God that he's able to change our heart to love. Because this is what God's word says. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been, what is it? Let's say it there. Has been poured into our, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If God does not pour his love into my heart, I will not be able to love. And I need to be praying continuously. And so I encourage you as well. Lord, keep pouring out your love into my heart because my love runs out. Correct? But God's love never runs out. My love will come to an end when I get irritated, when I get angry, and when I get mad, and when I get all kinds of things. But God's love keeps on pouring. It's a never, it's a continuous supply. God's love never runs out, right? And the Spirit of God gives that love, and that love takes control of my heart to be able to love the unlovable, to be able to live a life that reflects the love of Christ. That's what it is. There's no other way. So, as we conclude, how are we doing as a church family in love? Things to ponder. Hmm? Are we showing that love to others? Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you... If you what? (laughs) Love one another. Alright? Do we do that? So tonight, friends, let us consider God's love for us and how we can show the love spoken of in this passage tonight to others in our relationships. And finally, I want to issue a challenge as well. If you don't know God today as your Lord and as your Savior, and you're thinking and you're floundering and you're wondering, does God really love me? Well, God's Word tells us that He does. And if you want to be a Christian here tonight, and if you're not, then I pray tonight that you will think about your relationship with God. It's not about coming to church, it's not about going to this place, that place, nothing else. It's about having the relationship with Christ. And if you say to God this tonight, Lord, I have sinned against you. I want to be your child. Make me right with you. Help me to love you because you have loved me. With an everlasting love. A love that will never end. And he will do it in your life. Do you know this love? Do you know this God? Do you know this Savior? Love never ends. Let's pray.